Hey, my name is Zach, and this is the Plaid Jacket Philosopher, the podcast for tradespeople and the blue-collar middle class. I'm hoping to punch a few holes in the stereotypes that surround blue-collar workers and hopefully share a lot of the stories behind how we got into our line of work and the honest joy you can get from working outside of the office space. The plan is to mix in interviews as well as some solo stories from job sites, fatherhood, and personal experiences that led me to where I am today. Some will be funny, some will be personal, but hopefully any and all content here can help broaden what your opinion is of the blue-collar middle class. And I'm here today, joined another American guest, Anthony Blankenship, who is the author of First Generation Father, a book that I just recently finished reading, and I've been looking forward to and excited about this chat, well, for a while now, since we got in touch a few weeks back, and I had been eagerly waiting his book in the mail, and now I've been stoked for this interview. So, Anthony, I'll give you the floor to kind of introduce yourself and uh, say hello. Thanks, Zach. First of all, I just want to say thank you for extending the invitation. I appreciate it and uh, working together with our schedules to make this thing happen. And I'm incredi- incredibly excited to be here chatting with you. You're in Canada, right? That's right. Yeah, just outside of Vancouver, BC. Wow. Okay, so I've been to Canada, but uh, primarily on the eastern side, like Toronto and Ottawa and obviously Niagara. Oh, so yeah. I finally I made been- my first trip out east this uh, this summer to Ottawa. Other than that, I'd never been out past Saskatchewan. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> oh yeah, in our own country. I've been I've been farther in the states. I've been to Florida in the states, but I've never been far east in Canada. Wow. Well, congratulations on escaping Florida. A lot of people <laughs> go down there and don't try to get out. Florida <laughs> man is real. The legend of Florida man is real. Oh, Florida man. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, uh, man, I I absolutely loved your book. I wanted to get that out of the way first. And also, before I forget, I wanted to announce this at the beginning of the podcast too. But to anybody who's listening, I'm going to be donating three episodes, three, sorry, three copies of your book to the first three people to email plaidjacketphilosopher at gmail.com. Just kind of as a thank you, Anthony, to coming on here. And I really think your message could help a lot of people, which we'll get into today. But I don't want to spoil all of the book either. So we're going to touch on it, but really, this is this book is so applicable to so many walks of life. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And I think that's awesome that you're doing that, especially considering that how you came across the book was I was giving it away as part of another donation. So I think that completes the cycle of you getting it in a donated manner and then now donating the book to others if you think it will help people. So that's awesome. Yeah. Like you said, everything connects. Absolutely. Everything connects. Yeah, man. So we can roll kind of right into the backstory behind the book. Again, I, I don't want to give away everything in the book, but I, I really liked kind of how personal you come across and how, how you almost e- expose yourself to the audience a little bit in a lot of your background. Very um, much. Yeah. And so if you want to kind of divulge into that a little bit, I'm sure people would love to hear it. Sure. All right. Well, thank you. So to anybody who's unfamiliar with the book, the title is First Generation Father, how to build a healthy and happy home when you come from a broken home. Uh, and the title, you know, kind of gives away the premise. It's, uh, you know, the main question is, what is a first-generation father? It's, it's not a term that I heard before, but in the process of writing this book, it, you know, kind of bubbled to the surface. And a first-generation father, although the book is not only applicable to men, but a first-generation father is anybody who is trying to be father to their children, trying to be um, you know, a good partner in their relationship. And their upbringing was not exactly you know, ideal. There are a bunch of different ways that people can come from broken homes, be it um, the extreme situation like mine was, where you have a parent who 
I mean, my backstory is kind of intense and I do lay it all out there, but my mother was, um, she had me when she was a teenager. She dropped out of high school. Uh, her and my father had, you know, drug issues at that point in their lives. My father didn't graduate high school either. So statistically, automatically, a kid who's born into two parents who neither of them have graduated high school, they both have drug things going on. Um, my mom was a teenager. Then on top of that, there's a racial element. I'm biracial. My father is black. My mother is white. So that led to a bunch of tension in the family where I was disowned from what would be a safe haven. Typically, my mother's side of the family, her father didn't want anything to do with that. He's an old fashioned guy. <clears throat> so, you know, there's a complex, uh, a bunch of things working against me. After that, um, you know, she, she, Right now, it's great. She's been grandmother of the year like 10 years in a row. And I actually have a good relationship with my dad, too, although we don't talk that much. Um, there's no animosity between us. So from where I started to where I am now, there had to be a lot of healing and a lot of growth. And, um, you know, my wife and I have been married now almost 20 years. We have two healthy, happy children. And um, what I've discovered is there are a lot of men who don't really um, talk about how to get from starting in a, uh, like a rocky background, starting from a broken home. We don't really talk about how to break that cycle. No, Typically, it, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut in, but, and that, that seems to be such, I mean, you go over kind of statistics in the book and just the way that that cycle repeats itself over and over. And despite, you know, feeling hurt and feeling um, like you were the victim of this, this house that you were born into, but you still end up repeating that cycle down the line again. And it's, it's incredible. That's one of the things that I really, really appreciated about the book is how you explain how you came to kind of the revelation and the ability to break that cycle. Right. And the problem is, you know, people aren't dumb. They know, they realize that they come from a certain background and they also realize that it's likely that they repeat the cycles that they were exposed to themselves. They see that and they know that and they want to do better. The problem is how, Yeah. how do you do better? Exactly. If people realize I want a solid relationship. I want a, a loving uh, and committed relationship with my wife. I want my children to grow up in a two parent, healthy and happy home. I want to be financially successful. I want to be um, self-actualized mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I want to be balanced and not addicted to, drugs or bad habits. They want these things, but if you don't have actionable steps to take you from where you came from to that balanced place, oftentimes people get lost along the way. And what's sad is oftentimes people, they figure it out, but by the time they figure it out, it's too late. Yeah. My dad, he and I talked recently, he's, he's figured it out. He's good now. Well, I'm 44, I'm 43, about to be 44. I have an older brother, I have a, a brother who's right behind me, younger wife. So like he's got seven kids. And although he's just figured it out, his kids have kids. So the cycle has already perpetuated itself, you know, in a negative way for a lot of them. And yeah. not put myself above anybody. In all honesty, no. I came to this revelation by, do, do, can you curse on, the, on your podcast? Yeah, yeah, you can. Yeah, you can. I came to this revelation by fucking up worse than all of them at a... <laughs> Yeah. I really did. Yeah. I fucked up worse than everybody at a really young age, which ended up being a blessing for me because it put me in a situation where I had to realize, dude, you got to figure it out. Cause I was 15 years old and convicted of a first degree felony 
And honestly, one of the things that saved me from being sent to an adult prison for years and years is that I was so young. I was 15. Had I been 16, it would have been a whole different ballgame and I probably wouldn't be sitting here with you right now. And that's incredible. And one thing that in the book that I really found fascinating was how you'd kind of talked about how your relationship with your mom was kind of rocky, kind of heading into that, but that she really went to bat for you when you got put away. That's it. I found that to be so moving because I've had, I I love my mom and like, like you, like she is grandmother of the year, a hundred percent for the past eight years running, but but I, yeah, but I agree that I, I kind of had that up and down relationship and I didn't come from kind of the same type of broken home that you did. I came from a very, very ugly and tumultuous divorce when I was seven or eight years old. And Mm it, it kind of, it went on for roughly 18, 19 years before things kind of came to a head and there was, you know, a lot of words said, but at, at the end of that, it's kind of, it started to rebuild itself now. But it's the same thing. And it's kind of what you were talking about is just the different ways that you can get to come from these broken homes, no matter what that broken home may be. In your case, it I mean, it's an amazing story. And I, I suggest anybody get this book to read it. But but I, I completely agree with you. And I think I like the way how it's applicable to everybody from really any walk of life. But the, the way that your mom went to bat for you when you got sent away to juvie was just incredible to me. And the fact you were able to turn it around after that. Yeah. I mean, it saved my life, honestly. Yeah. That's not hyperbole and it's not exaggeration. It saved my life. Yeah. Um, and I feel like in a lot of ways, it, I don't want to say that it saved her life too, but I'm her only child. Mm-hmm. So, you know, my kids are relatively young. They're, my son is 12, my daughter is 10. Mm-hmm. But when they accomplish something in this world, I feel naturally, I feel good. And when they fail in some way, a part of me, even though I realize that failure is a part of life, a part of me feels disappointed in myself, you know, and I think that's, I think that's natural. Oh yeah. I was going to say, I share that feeling too. So you can imagine uh, how a parent feels when their child does something. Um, so, so, you know, out of character or does something so damaging to other people mm-hmm. it really is a bit like potentially throws their life away. Yeah. Um, I think it, it, it makes a lot of parents feel, guilty and it makes them feel ashamed and it makes them feel um you know like they failed yeah so i feel like being that my early life was already so tough and troubled me getting in that situation as a 15 year old really was kind of like well that's it you you messed this kid all the way up now he's you know he's just another statistic so i think her going to bat for me the way she did so tough um, it, it not only saved my life, but it also resurrected her as a parent. Like, okay, now you have another shot. Yeah. You could have been, you know, under the jail. Yeah. Now you have a shot and I helped get it for you. So now you better take it and do something. What you do with it after this point is on you. And did you, did you really kind of feel that ownership even at a young age of kind of realizing what she had kind of given to you at that age? Cause I know when I was 15, 16, like, I was a moron. Like I, I wouldn't have been able to pick up on that kind of a lesson right away, but, but it, it really sounds like you really did kind of have that realization even at that young age. Well, honestly, Zach, I was a moron until about six to eight months ago. So <laughs> right, right. I, I feel the same way. Right. Yeah. I still, and I still have my moments. Yeah. So um, it, it wasn't quite as neat and clean as that. It wasn't quite as neat and clean as in the moment that I'm then released from jail. I understand the, 
complexities of what she did for me. But I did understand after that point that um, there was no one coming to save me. Like the, the life that I ended up making for myself was going to be for me to decide. And then as I grew and matured and went through different situations, uh, I was able to look back and reflect and realize, wow, she really did pull me out of what could have been a dire situation. That's really incredible. And that's one theme that I, I really picked up kind of through the book is just that that sense of accountability that you had realizing kind of the background that you came from. And then all these steps that you took to kind of better yourself. I mean, from going into the military to, to all these different steps that really, I, I really appreciated the sense of accountability in the book. It's one of the things that I, I, I don't know, I'm kind of drawn to, I like that, that idea. And it's almost, to me, anyway, it's empowering, because you're kind of taking that power back and you can you can shape your destiny type thing if you know it's I, I that's one of the things I loved about the book personally thank you and that's exactly one of the main tenets of the book yeah um you know there's so many people that come from troubled situations and like I explained in the introduction to the book it's welcoming to people from all different walks of life and there's a bunch of different ways for homes to be broken whether it's uh, you have a parent who's on drugs or you have you suffer through a nasty divorce which a lot of people do Mm -hmm. Or um, even if you're just in a, a house that's uh, not emotionally or mentally supportive, sometimes there's emotional abuse, mental abuse. Um, people in the LGBTQ community oftentimes are in an environment that's unwelcoming to them in their own home. And Absolutely. A lot of mental and emotional trauma. Um, you know, there's so many ways that a home could be broken. I had a friend reach out to me who uh, his father passed away when he was a child and he was saying, you know, he didn't think that the title was applicable to him, but when he got into the book, he realized it's really just, uh, you know, that term broken home is really just about a home that's not fully intact. And there's a bunch of ways that that intactness can break and a parent passing away through no fault of their own is another way. When you talk about the mental and emotional voids that it can leave in a person's life, they're, they're still there in a situation like that where a parent passes away. So there's a bunch of different ways that a home could be broken. And, um, you know, the book has actually been really well received by women as well. You know, the message of balance and healing past traumas, which I talk about a lot in the book mm -hmm. and come into a place of, of self-actualization and, and realizing that you have these three basically primal energies that you need to balance within for your own health and for the health of your family. Um, that's universal to men, women, you know, anybody. Absolutely. And that, that was actually kind of my next point that I wanted to roll into because it's really kind of the backbone of the book. And I appreciate how in every chapter you reference how it kind of fits into these three primal energies. Um, I just found that it was awesome. Like it's, it's really nice to see it broken down like that. Cause like I said, I'm a moron. So I like to see it broken down. This is how it affects your, yeah. Like I, I loved it personally, especially like the one that always stuck out to me is your spiritual energy. I'll let you kind of break down the three of them, but the spiritual energy was something that I've always found lacking a little bit or where I really needed to find an anchor. Um, mm -hmm. But I'll let you break it down first. And then maybe we could go into that a little bit after. Sure. Okay. So I have a copy of the book here. I'll grab it just maybe for visual purposes. Yep. This is the cover of the book. And, you know, the whole premise of the book is that we have, and this is what I come to, um, you know, I talk about having a roadmap to get from, you know, starting in a broken home and building a healthy and happy one. And for me, after years of uh, introspection and years of reflection, lots of mistakes and figuring things out, I basically was able to boil it down to these three, what I call primal energies. And they're represented by the red circle, the blue circle, and the yellow circle. 
So the red circle is what I call your warrior energy. And this is your want and ability and skill to fight. Um, a lot of times as men, this is kind of natural to us. We're fighters by nature, right? Mm -hmm. But I break it down in, this, in the way about in order to really have a healthy and happy family, you need to make sure that you're fighting for your family, not against your family. You're fighting for habits that strengthen your family, not against, um, you know, the better situations for your family. So within that, as if you've read the book, you'll know, I talk about having too much of that energy, which is a toxic warrior energy, having too little of that energy, which is an impotent warrior energy, and exactly how to balance yourself in a healthy warrior energy. So you're fighting, um, you know, for your family's betterment rather than against your family. And it exactly. took me a long time to get there. Yeah. When I came from my early environment, I had to fight. <clears throat> I grew up poor. Um, I came from an environment where everything was a fight. The relationships that I saw around me were toxic. So everything was like a fight for your life. So that bode well for me in the military. I was a, I was a 13 Bravo. I was an artillery guy. Then I was an officer. I was an artillery officer. So having that um, warrior energy was very helpful to me, but um, it was pulling me out of balance. I was underdeveloped intellectually, which is the blue circle. I was underdeveloped spiritually, which is the yellow circle. And um, when you're out of balance, you know, this is basically the whole premise of the book. When you're out of balance, you can't really be the best husband, father, spouse, partner, person that you can be. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree. The one that I've, the one that I find too, you notice a lot, at least outwardly uh, represented in guys is the masculinity or like, you know, the warrior mentality, whether it's, again, like you said, kind of the toxic or impotent, but the, the toxic one obviously shows itself the loudest. Everybody's familiar with the term toxic masculinity. And, you know, I, but what I really liked about the book was how you, how you, yeah, represented that all three need to be in balance and in harmony for your life to really have that true meaning and that true kind of guide forward. And again, for me, the thing that I kind of struggled with the longest was kind of my spiritual mentality and just having a, a why you, you, you represented as having the why behind what you're doing. Um, right. And that's, that's really, I mean, I don't think I really had that in, in alignment until I had a family, to be honest. Now kind of that's the core tenant behind everything. It's for my family everything is kind of guided by that. What would be the best for this? And it's my anchor. It's my rock behind everything. And I'm sure you, you can relate to that as well. I don't think that I would have necessarily had that with, without it. I grew up in a, in a Christian home and a Christian family. I, I share a lot of the core values, but you know, over life you have struggles. You try to, it's, it's a relationship there too, right? You're going up and down with that. But I find now I'm able to really anchor my why behind my family, my kids, my wife. And that was something my wife and I now we're kind of skipping way ahead in the book, but were you talking about finding a partner and the values that you look for? I mean, obviously there's a, the attraction, which you go into and you, you speak sure. to it very eloquently. <laughs> I really, I really like the way that you write that chapter. I was first, Oh, this is another thing too. Like throughout the book, through all this serious discussions that you're having, you, you have this, this way of sprinkling in a little bit of humor at sometimes the most odd times that had me cracking up. Like literally when you're talking about growing up with your, your grandfather and the really tense relationship there. And then you sprinkled in this one comment and I, I was actually cracking up reading it. I reread re it like four times, but going back to the, the partners, like uh, my wife and I, we both come from divorced, pretty nasty 
divorces growing up. Hers was at a younger age. Mine was a little bit older. Um, but both of us have such almost uh, like a shell against like that's that's not even in our realm of possibility is breaking up our family. And it's something that when you speak to having I the same core values in a spouse, that's something that I really related to as well. And I find that that drives mine and my wife's relationship forward with such a strength and such a, a guidance, like no matter what it is, we have to be open. We have to be communicative because we can't have, that's not an option. That's not on the table. We're not going to blow this thing up and blow our family up at any point. And right. I, I also really liked how you, what you went into with, you know, how you and your wife kind of had almost this secret marriage ceremony. It wasn't almost secret. It <laughs> Sorry. Was secret. <laughs> it was, it was. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that incredible. Like me and my wife, we, we met, we were engaged four months later and married five months after that. So from first date, July 9th to married on April 5th, it was nine months. And that's, I mean, it's unheard of. We've been married for almost six years now. We've had three kids over that span of time and it's been amazing, but we consider ourselves very lucky, but it all comes down to our kind of values, our core values aligning. And that's something that you really represented well with you and your wife. Your wife's name is Sarah, correct? Yeah, her name's Sarah and she's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So maybe you, you could go into that relationship a little bit. I, I didn't want to give away the whole book, but I wanted to kind of skip through a few chapters that I, I really I really felt drawn into and that I could relate to. But yeah, maybe if you could go into that relationship a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like there's so much in the book, we, we couldn't give it all away if we tried. You know? <laughs> That's a but, good point. Yeah, so Sarah and I, our relationship is, I mean, you couldn't pick two odder people to come together. I mean, our backgrounds are so absolutely different. Um, mine, I've discussed already. She grew up in upstate New York. Her dad was, uh, he's an engineer. He's a developer. He worked for Xerox for a long time. They lived in a big old house in upstate New York. And she went to a Catholic school. It cost, you know, probably more than my family was bringing in in a full year. Um, and I don't say that to this, like, as a, in a disparaging way. Her parents no. were incredibly great people and hard workers, and you should earn the fruits of your labor. But where I was coming from, I looked at them and was like, well, they're from like a different world, you know, mm -hmm. we happened to meet in Savannah. I, uh, when I pulled myself together in high school, I ended up going all in and baseball, playing baseball. You know, I gave it my absolute all and I earned a scholarship to this small art school that I had never heard of an art college in Savannah, Georgia called Savannah College of Art and Design. And I was in Ohio at the time. I didn't know a soul in, in Georgia, but some other good baseball players that I know had decided to go there. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to go to Savannah. So I went to Savannah and I'm playing baseball. And toward the end of playing baseball there, I met a younger underclassman girl who was, I just thought was gorgeous. And the more I talked to her, she was incredibly talented. And uh, she just, she just had it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I had the same feeling with my wife. I, yeah. Say no more. She just had it and she still got it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we came, the more we got to know each other, just like you said, we came from really different backgrounds, but we had a lot of the same core values and her core values were driven by what she saw. She wanted to kind of emulate what she saw. My core values were being driven by trying to escape what I had come from. Right. It was mm -hmm. kind of like the relationship I had with my dad. I watched them all growing up and I go, well, I am not going to do that. Right. I'm going to be the opposite of that. 
And I talk about that in the book, how to take a, a situation and, you know, become grateful for that situation and take something from it, even when it's a challenging situation. Yeah. That's a, I, huge, I, yeah, that's a huge key to getting out of a negative situation because a lot of people come from bad environments and whatnot, and you can take anything from that you want to, you know what I mean? You can take, you can take it as, well, that's what I'm going to be because that's where I'm from. Or you can take it as I see the devastation that that causes to families and I'm committed to not repeating that. Yeah. I think you referred to it as the appreciation transformation in the book. Yeah. I, I loved that area of it too. And just going back for a second, when, when you were thinking back to the relationship that you had with your father, did that ever deter you from having kids of your own in the future? Or were you determined to kind of just have a different relationship with yours? It did. It honestly did. How did you know to ask that, man? You know what? Well, because I've had, honestly, like reading this book, I had a lot just it brings up a lot of things, right? Like you really start to think back and kind of analyze just different ways you've thought in the past and different. I had a lot of kind of presuppositions about what a family would look like just based off of what I saw my family being like. And it's, I, I don't know, I, without obviously reading your, your book as a kid, when I was younger, I have a lot of the same, the same viewpoints, especially on, on, yeah, just the appreciation transformation and trying to take a negative and just, pull whatever you can out of the yeah pull the teachings that you can out of that and then carry that forward instead yeah exactly and i was hesitant to have a family up when sarah and i got married we waited seven years before we had kids we were married married so we were together a few years dating in college before we got married and when we got married it was justice of the peace wedding mm-hmm. we didn't tell anybody we just went and got married the justice of the peace told us you have to have at least uh witness you have a witness and we, we didn't even have a witness we had to have the lady who was just happened to be sitting there working at her desk if she would come and be the witness and she was and we were married yeah and now almost 20 years later we're healthy and happy but um yeah we were married almost seven years man because i knew once we have kids like that's it there's no breaking up or splitting up because i of you know my background mm-hmm it's like, this is it. So I was a little hesitant. And also, I think it was really important for us to grow into a better understanding of ourselves. Yeah. You know, because when you have kids, not that the kids are more important than the relationship, but the kids' needs are often more urgent. Absolutely. Right? Yep. Kids' needs are more, well, we need to fix this right away immediately. And, uh, you know, if you and your partner are still trying to figure each other out and learn each other and you're trying to deal with the immediacy of the kids and all that, I feel like a lot of times that causes problems. I, so, yeah, we waited. We waited seven years and now we have two. And I'm glad we did. Everybody's relationship dynamics are different. Family dynamics are different and all that. I'm not saying that every, that's for everybody, but oh, totally. for me and my background, I did wait. And that definitely was part of it. Yeah, It was part yeah. of hers, too, because she wasn't sure that I was still not going to be a knucklehead. And if I was... <laughs> She's a, she's amazingly talented artist and she has, uh, you know, she has dreams and aspirations that she's achieving now. And if I was being, you know, an idiot forever, I'm sure she would have, you know, did what she had to do. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually saw on your social media, you shared the mural that she had painted with that little Easter egg of your book coming soon. Yeah. Man, yeah. that was incredible. Like what, what a show of love, like from her too, right? Just to add that little Easter egg in that you wouldn't necessarily know to look for unless you were looking for it. But that was so cool. Thanks. So yeah, for people who don't know what we're talking about, my wife is an artist and a muralist. So here in central Texas, she paints all these murals all over 
buildings, privately owned buildings, schools and whatnot. And some of them are huge. And she painted one on the side of a building in Georgetown, Texas called Gus's Drug. And it's huge. It was a big old community project. She headed up over 150 volunteers to get this thing done over the course of two months. And uh, on one side of the mural, it spells out Georgetown. It looks like a postcard. And each letter, the G has a specific uh, element of it that's related to Georgetown. The E, the O, each one has a little thing like Blue Hole or the li the famous library here. Well, in one little Easter egg on, on uh, this thing called Palace Theater, it's a theater where they do plays and whatnot, musicals. They even do summer camps and stuff, which our kids go to. Real small on this little coming soon poster tucked away in there. She put all the kids' names, but she also put a little poster of my book that, uh, that it was coming soon. And that was about seven months before the book actually came out. So that was a cool little Easter egg. Oh, it was incredible. And yeah, when you point that out, like, uh, yeah, it was, it brought a big smile to my face too. Cause I could just imagine how appreciative you'd be to just kind of see that. That's such a cool thing. And uh, yeah, and I want to say real quick while we're talking about this, you know, yeah, yeah. I talk about the importance of, um, so I'll pull the book back up. <clears throat> so basically this area here where you're balanced between your warrior, your intellectual and your spiritual energy, this is what I refer to as the golden zone. And this is where you're your best self for your family. But, um, you know, as husbands and leaders within our family, I talk about getting your children into their own golden zone and getting your partner into their own golden zone. And so my wife now, who started her own business a couple of years ago, painting and doing murals, is absolutely in her golden zone. And the effects of it have been amazing, not only just for her and her business, but on our own kids so one of the things that I talk about a lot and I've gotten a lot of positive feedback from women readers is the, um, how I talk about the importance of husbands helping and facilitating situations where their spouses can get into the golden zone themselves. It's not just about us. It's about us leading our families into better places for themselves. And so we talk about that mural that my wife painted, right? My kids have been super involved. Like she comes to them with ideas about, you know, color schemes and concepts and whatnot, they go and they help her paint. And like, I just think that that adds such a, a richness to their lives. And especially, you know, I have a son, I think him seeing his mom in that way sets the standard for what he's going to be looking for when it's time for him to look for a, a spouse or a partner, like we talked about earlier. Yeah. And my daughter, when she sees <clears throat> her mom being loved properly, um, you know, being supported and also like succeeding not only in the home, but out in the world. I think that's incredibly important for us to show our daughters that that's how it's supposed to be. So we don't end up creating some situation in our house or in our homes where our daughters are then looking for that, um, that same situation later in life where it feels normal to them, but it's not a healthy situation. Yeah, I agree completely. And I loved those chapters in your book. You know, what's funny is I almost took more from the chapter where you described raising daughters. I, I have four boys, so there's a whole lot of testosterone running through the house. My <laughs> wife is outgunned and, uh, but I really, I really appreciate it. Sorry. A lot of wrestling going on. Oh my God. Yeah. Our, uh, it's funny. We've got a nine-year-old, a five-year-old, and then a two and a half-year-old and an eight-month-old, but our two and a half-month-old runs the show of his older two brothers. He's just, he's, he's a wild child. Like we, uh, yeah, it's funny. Our first two are going through school and, you know, their kindergarten teacher, they've had the same kindergarten teacher and they both just heap praise on them for how kind and caring and empathetic they are. 
And we just know that they're going to be hit by a wrecking ball when our two and a half year old goes through there. Cause he is, <laughs> he is a one eighty out of whack of the other two, but it's going to be hilarious. But yeah. You know, but what I really gathered out of, well, I mean, both of the chapters raising boys and girls, but is the idea of really trying to nurture whatever their kind of why is in life. Like I grew up playing sports. I was very active. I really, I was very competitive. I guess you could say I may have had a little bit on kind of the toxic warrior mentality when I was younger. I really liked that competition, right? It was a bit out of whack, but that was who I grew up as. And, Mm -hmm. uh, but my my nine year old now he's very he's very empathetic he's very into art he, he and but what you had written about with your daughter and your son too because your son has different interests than you may have growing up but it's about it's about kind of doing whatever you can to nurture and grow those desires for them in life and I found that to be so incredible in the book and it's something that I was able to relate to because sometimes it's tough to you know, relate to my son when he's wanting to build crafts or do some kind of artwork where I'm not good at it. <laughs> I don't have an eye for it, but yeah. I-, I loved hearing it in your book. Yeah, absolutely, man. And how insightful of you to recognize that within yourself. Your mm-hmm. kids are in fantastic hands and I'm not just blowing smoke. No, <laughs> thank you. Seriously, that's that's amazing. But, um, you know, one of the things I talk about in the book is that these energies, one thing that really kind of... Um, freed me as a parent, freed me as a husband is understanding that these energies have various ways of expressing themselves. So like, sounds like for you and I, our warrior energy is like direct competition, right? Yeah. I want to play you in a sport and I want to freaking beat you. Absolutely. A lot of guys, you know, kind of can relate to that. So like for me, I, I played baseball and I loved it and winning was everything. My son doesn't really care for baseball like that. He doesn't care for sports at all. So when I was kind of lesser evolved, I was, you know, I was like, man, he doesn't really have that like, he doesn't really have a fight to him, you know? Yep. But that was really a limited way of seeing things. Now I understand that that energy can express itself in all sorts of ways. For example, he just got back um, his results for this, these Iowa tests, which are standardized testing that they do all across the country here. And he takes great pride in beating other kids. And that, it's his warrior energy that goes, I'm going to take this test and I'm going to do exceptionally well, right? I'm going to do better than my peers, better than my counterparts. It's an expression of that same energy. It's just expressed differently. So instead of looking at it like a freaking lughead, like I would ask, what test? Let's go, you know, let's go throw a football. Um, I really had to realize that he's expressing that same energy. It's just being expressed differently. And that really freed me up. And I feel like makes me a better father than I was not that long ago. I feel the same way. My son, we got him into soccer. I mean, I grew up, I grew up playing soccer and, you know, the Canadian stereotype hockey, but, uh, but I was very competitive in both. And I noticed the same thing with my son. I coached his team when he was five and six and, you know, he, he played it. He enjoyed it. He had fun. He was, he was very social on the field. Like a lot of the time, I'd be like Riley, go, go chase the ball, like enough talking to everybody. But, you know, I, and I came to the same realization at first. I, I struggled with it. Honestly, I, I tried to push him probably a little bit too hard at times. And, but it was, it was because I didn't, I didn't realize that either. I didn't understand. Like I, 
I didn't understand the disconnect between, well, this is something that I love doing. This must be something that you'll love doing at this age. But mm -hmm. I, I came to that same realization and it was, it was a bit of a struggle to be honest, especially to kind of wrap my head around it. But now you're right. He, he takes that same view when it comes to artwork, when it comes to building anything, he's very tactile with his hands. He likes blocks, Lego, anything like that. And he's very creative. And he, he, again, he expresses that competition, that competitiveness in, in all the art and the projects that he does now. Right. That's, that's beautiful for you to recognize. And I think that too, um, you know, this, the sentiment behind warrior energy is that it doesn't have to be expressed through a direct challenge of my, what I'm doing here is better than what you're doing there. Oftentimes, right. especially for the artistic type, it's just accepting a challenge. It's just doing something difficult. You know, it's just, and this is a challenging project and I'm going to do it and I'm going to work on it and I'm not going to quit and I'm going to persevere through challenges and hardships. So that can express itself in so many different ways, even if it's, you know, building a Lego set that's complex and, 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 you know, massive where, you know, I like my ego might hide under the guys. I'm not going to do that. I don't care about that, man. That's weak. Right. When in reality, what's hard and it's challenging and I'm, I'm quitting. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they can persevere and actually lean into the challenge and enjoy it. That's really understanding that that's an expression of warrior energy, I think is, is critical for fathers to not put their kids in a box. Uh, I feel like generationally, just a few generations ago, it was very much accepted that fathers were um, stoic and kind of like removed from their children. And the children oftentimes developed unhappy, unhealthy habits trying to do things to gain the parents' attention or gain the parents' approval. Yep. And I feel like society is evolving past that and we're kind of the first generation of fathers who that's not going to cut it anymore. You know what I mean? We have to realize I'm not going to make my kid play baseball. So that way he feels that I love him. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that frees him up to explore his own pursuits. And he now is a fantastic young actor and he does well academically. And ironically, he got into playing roller hockey. Oh, really? Uh, we, live, we live in Texas, so there's not a lot of ice but he started playing roller hockey. And I don't know the first thing about hockey, but uh, he started playing roller hockey, super competitive, loves it. His team just won the championship uh, last year. It's not the first championship they won. So, you know, me kind of just broadening my understanding has really deepened our relationship and freed him up to be, you know, his authentic self. And I think that's what we all want for our children. But like I said in the beginning, the question is how we all want our children to be their best authentic selves. But oftentimes we don't know how, we don't know what we're doing. This thing doesn't come with a roadmap. And that's what this book is. It's actionable steps. It's a roadmap. There is no, um, this is 100% certain, even this book, yep. but it's an idea. And if it can help some people take some things from it and go, I'm going to apply this or I'm going to apply that, then it's worth the you know 20 bucks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely worth the money. I mean, and like I said, kind of the way that you break down in every chapter, how it relates, and you leave it, you leave it fairly open ended, like it, it's just, it's these three basic principles, but it's so easy to plug them into whatever you're doing in life. It's, uh, yeah, it's very applicable. And it, it, the way you laid it out is so easy to follow. And it's, I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. I think I crushed this book in three days. It was so easy to read. It was, it was a blast. Yeah, honestly, even just having a book and having your children seeing you read a book 
even if you don't tell them anything about it, having them see you read a book to make you a better parent or to make you a better spouse or to make you a better person for them says a ton to them. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So there goes my, there goes my dad or there goes my mom or there goes someone that I love spending their free time reading something about how to be better for me. Yeah. You know what I mean? There, you can't put a price on the value of that. No, absolutely not. The fact that they realize that you, you care enough to really spend your free time trying to actively get better in life. That that's huge to them. Do you find it's funny that you mentioned that, but even even with my kids, I find that it's a bonus just to have them seeing me read, period. Like, I know that they don't really enjoy it. You know, they've got iPads, all kinds of technology all around the place now. I But it's something that I am really trying to encourage and cultivate in them is just a desire to read and kind of extend, expand their knowledge base that way. Do you find, I mean, I imagine it's the same with kids all, all over the place. Mine are, again, my oldest is nine, so I'm a little bit behind you on the age range. But do you find any kind of struggles that way with, with your kids getting them to read or anything like that? Well, I feel like, you know, kids are their own people. They're, they're their own people. They're just young. That is true. Yeah. So my son, he is a fanatic reader. I mean, he reads, he'll, he'll go hide himself away and read for hours and hours and hours. Um, He powers through books. His vocabulary is incredible. Mm -hmm. So it wouldn't surprise me if he went on to, you know, have a career somehow with books, either writing books or reviewing books or something, or maybe it's just a hobby, what have yeah. you. But uh, he reads a ton. My daughter, she's more uh, hands-on arts and crafts, song and dance. She's more like want the party. Um, she still can read, but we have to push it on her a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And I say push it, um, not in a negative way, but we have to make sure that we're allocating time that she needs to sit and read. And then one of the good things about her not wanting to read that much is that if I read to her, she'll, or Sarah, either of us read to her, she'll, you know, she's more apt to listen. And I like reading to my daughter because <laughs> I get oh, yeah. to, to be dad and read her a book. Although yeah. we often argue about what I'm like, I'm going to read you Crossing the Chasm. This is like the buying patterns, of how people adapt to new technology. <laughs> Can we read this one, The Magic Pencil? Yeah. So, yeah. Normally it's The Magic Pencil. Oh, yeah, I hear you. And I think another thing kind of going back again, but the idea of really this kind of first generation of fathers who are invested and really, really active in our children's upbringing. I, I mean, I can't imagine another way for it to be done, to be honest, I I find I take incredible joy out of being with my kids kind of watching them grow. Like I remember my son when they're when they're kind of in that four to six month range, and you really start to see in their eyes that things are clicking. There's, there's not a cooler feeling ever. Like I've, I've tried to explain this to my friends who don't have kids. It's impossible. You can't put it into words, but there's, there's something about kind of being hands-on and being there to see them discover all their desires and what makes them happy in life or what's that, that driving force for them. It's, it's incredible. I can't imagine raising kids any other way. It's true. Yeah. I think just honestly, um, you know, not to get too deep into this, but I feel like the human species is just evolving. You know what I mean? I feel like what used to be a complete relationship in olden times, when the man was half the relationship and the woman was the other half of the relationship. I feel like that's not sustainable anymore. And what what we have to have is relationships where both people are whole and both people are fully self-actualized. And then, um, you know, my, my wife now teaches my kids a lot about warrior energy as well when she perseveres on tough jobs and she's out in the world and she's navigating this you know she's on construction sites and she's 
you know, doing all these things. And I'm talking to my children about their emotional health and well-being, things that in the past, you know, guys would never talk about that. Fathers would never, um, you know, talk to their children about, <clears throat> you know, the emotional traumas from their own past and stuff like that. It just, it just wasn't done. But yeah, I feel like society yeah. is evolving now. And those old kind of ways, they're not, they're, they're not going to cut it anymore. No, I completely agree. And I mean, we even to, we have to evolve. We got to do better. We got to exactly this. And this book, again, this is all part of it too. kind of moving forward from past failures. And another thing that you were talking about, kind of being those role models for your kids, not only kind of to show your daughter the way that she deserves to be treated, but also how she can really chase her dreams. And she needs somebody who's going to support her and kind of push her almost at that, that stage. And we feel the same way. I mean, I don't have, we don't have a daughter obviously to, to give those ideals to, but with our sons, we find it, it, we, we really try to, to demonstrate that for them. One thing that we do, like our, our five-year-old just did his first one. It was kind of odd because it's COVID related and everything, all the lockdowns, but we, they like to do mommy dates. So they'll have a day where I'll give them some cash and they'll take mom to a movie or something. And they'll, they'll buy her popcorn. They'll pay for the drinks or whatever. And it's just, they have so much fun doing it. And it's such a, I, my wife loves it. Like I love seeing how excited they get at the end of the day, they take pictures and everything. And they just, they, they go out and they try to really spoil mom and show her how much they appreciate her. And we've been trying to do that. I guess it's been about four years now. I think we did it when our, our oldest was five. And so, yeah, now that our second one's five, he's done this once as well too, but they just have so much fun and it's trying to really kind of ingrain into them just the way that the way that they kind of should view relationships and view partners in the future but yeah, I had, it's just something that I forgot to go back to, but I just looked at my notes and it was something I wanted to mention to you anyway. Well, that's awesome, man. And I commend you for that. You know, as parents, we set the standard. Yeah, we really do. We set the standard, uh, both mom and dad, we set the standard. And I talk about that a lot, but, you know, kind of a big, um, a big turning point in my life and accountability was my time that I spent in the military. I spent five years in the, in the U.S. Army, two years as an enlisted soldier and then three years as a commissioned officer. Um, in that time, I was in charge of, I don't want to say in charge of, in that time, I outranked a lot of soldiers, right? You know how military structure works. Right. Um, and <clears throat> I'm, I'm very proud and humbled to say that what I learned about my time and outranking people is that when you have more rank than somebody and you're really leading them, what that means is um, you're of service to them. That's a whole mentality that I think a lot of, people don't have when they come from a toxic background they think that when you're in charge or when you're the leader that just means telling people what to do right right like it's almost an oppressive force right exactly i'm in charge and this is how it goes i feel like the father figure in a lot of unhealthy homes is like that absolutely but one of the big premises of this book is this idea that leadership is service and um understanding that in order to really lead your family into a healthy and happy place, you have to kind of be of service to them. And I think that what you're doing, getting your kids used to the idea of like taking their mom out, buying their popcorn, like treating, you know, how to treat, and it's exciting for them. I feel like that is a hundred percent example of what I'm talking about, about being of service to your children. That's a service that you're, 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 you're literally providing them a roadmap to how to be successful and happy in the world and in their relationship and in their family. And that's, um, that's amazing, man. So keep oh, up the good. Thank you. And that that's honestly, that's part of the reason why I was so, so excited to speak to you because I just, 
I, I felt like I could relate to a lot of the, the ideas you had in the book. And yeah, when you're talking about kind of being in charge of, I like to just say you're mentoring people because that's, yeah. that's how I view it with apprentices at work too, right? I work on construction sites. I've worked on really big crews where I've had a lot of apprentices underneath me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's the same thing. And I agree with the idea that leadership is service and not to mention that it's kind of, it's a mutual, it's a mutual beneficial experience when they're kind of going with whatever you're telling them. Like it looks good on you too, if they're doing well, and it's going to further their career, you know, in the military or in apprenticeships, but it, it services both people. So it's really a, it's a team team set mentality where you're, Mm -hmm. you know, you're all moving towards a mutual goal and it's going to benefit everybody. Absolutely. And and work in an environment like you do. And I have too, both in the military and I've worked on, uh, I worked for like a, construction wasn't necessarily construction it was pulling cable within buildings that are being constructed like pulling all the wiring and all that jazz so you're basically oh, yeah. construction sites um the thing about people is man you know and i say in the book there's a lot of ways to be smart and there's a lot of ways to be dumb people are smart and they know when the leadership is self-serving they know when the leadership is looking out for themselves versus yeah. when the leadership is genuinely of service to them and making sure that they're looking that they're looked out for and that the people under their care um, are genuinely, you know, cared for. People know that. They feel it. You can't fake it, especially in stressful situations. And, um, you know, where you work is stressful, but raising a family is incredibly stressful. And, and your family knows, is this person really, you know, looking out for me? Or are they just trying to be like, you know, a dick? Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and I think... I think there's a lot of different ways. There are times within, you know, your role as a father that you have to be a little harder than other times. And I think over time, your kids know if you're doing that from a place of service for their best interest or out of like, you know, your own unhealthy energy. Well, speaking of, yeah, kind of being a bit harder as a father, that was one story. And this is something that I'm going to employ with my son, my nine-year-old. But the idea when you said you were turning up the volume with your son... Yeah. And, but that idea of waking him up, taking him out for a run, and then he ended up, you know, his warrior energy started getting into it and he started to actually get competitive with his runs. Like that story is incredible in the book. And it's such a good idea. I would, I'd never ever in a million years would have thought of that, but I'm definitely going to try that out. Cause I'm up at the crack of dawn way before dawn actually for work. And so I'll, I'll definitely roll my son out of bed if he's a <laughs> roll him out. Yeah. yeah. So to summarize real quick, uh, he, he got in trouble for something at school. His his mom and I talked to him. He said he understood and he wouldn't do it again. Lo and behold, he did it again. And so, you know, I told him, I just want you to understand why your behavior is a disservice to you. And it's, uh, it's not an accurate representation of your character. And since we told you in a calmer manner and it didn't quite resonate with you, I'm now going to turn up the volume about the way I tell you, not because I'm mad or flying off the handle or because I'm being reactionary, but because it's important that you understand this. Mm-hmm. And so what I ended up doing was taking him out and taking him on a run and making him do some exercises. You know, he's a kid, so I, I didn't do anything crazy, but it was, it was a different way for him to hear the message. And then, while he's tired and huffing and puffing, we talked again and he understood that, you know, his behavior was, you know, it wasn't acceptable. And then, like you said, by the time we came home, this was early in the morning, by the time we came home and his sister came downstairs all sleepy eyed and I told him some stories about how I had gotten, you know, the volume turned up on me a few times. You could see him relating to it and it turned into a source of pride for me. He was like, man, I'm, 
I'm as strong as a soldier. Like I just did a soldier's training. Here comes his sister, like wiping this crust out of her. <laughs> I did all these push-ups, and I was like rolling around and it was muddy. I made us a big breakfast and it was all good. And it really became, it was a negative situation that turned into a positive because one, he understood that, you know, his behavior had to change, but then two, it built, it built him up rather than broke him down. There's no underlying resentment where you yell at your kids or berate them or what have you, their behavior may change, but a lot, oftentimes there's underlying resentment now where they go, man, I hate that dude. Right. Yeah. So yeah, this you, was and- like, he was like, wow, me and my dad are like, we're both strong and, you know, and it hasn't happened since he doesn't want to wake up and be that strong again all the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But you've, you've built like a really, uh, what I really liked about it is how you've built this amazing bonding experience out of what would technically be considered a discipline, but you, you built this bonding experience in somewhere you, where you can kind of both step off together. And Mm -hmm. also I like the idea of even, I mean, kids have so much energy. I mean, a lot of the time you're talking to them, they're fidgeting, they're bouncing around. Mm-hmm. Like you don't know kind of how much is sticking really of what you're saying. Cause they've probably got a billion things running through their mind, but the idea of even just tiring them out a little bit, getting them a little bit more receptive to the message that you're trying to convey to them. I think I absolutely loved that story in the book. And it's something I am definitely going to employ in the future, especially as our son's getting to be, you know, nine, a little bit more moody, (laughs) starting to get into those preteen years. It's, uh, you know, it's a whole new set of challenges for my wife and I, but we're taking it one step at a time. But that's something I'm definitely going to have in my arsenal from now on. Yeah, use it, man, use it. You know, interesting thing about that, like the residual effects is when something happens now and I talk to him calmly, he understands like, I'm talking to you calmly, but hear what I'm saying, because if you don't, I will say it, you know, in a different way. Right. You can escalate the situation. Rat or anything. And there's no, you know, he just knows my dad's talking to me and I better pay attention because <laughs> he's going to, he's going to make it so that I hear it. And often, and you know, genuinely he understands that whatever I'm telling him or what have you, it comes from a place of wanting what's best for him. Absolutely. I think, and that's, as long as that's the backbone to a relationship, like you said, with anybody who's kind of in that authority figure. So being, you know, in this case, a father, it's, you don't want to come across as being oppressive or anything like that. You know, you guys are in this together, as long as you're supportive, that, that moves, that goes so far in a relationship. And I, I often like to try to, you know, cause my, my, uh, my kind of audience is typically pretty blue collar into trades and everything but i like to try to convey that into the idea of with apprentices too right like you had said you want to be you know have their back being trying to help them moving forward it's not just this downwards force and pressure pushing them into the ground you're really you're kind of behind them pushing them forward helping them get ahead yeah in the military we would always say i'm trying to train myself out of the job yeah right i'm trying to train you to be better than me yeah. And that's what, what I oftentimes tell my kid, like, I'm getting you ready so that when I'm not there, you don't need me there. Yep. Right. I'm trying to get you so you're out into the world, you know, doing exactly what you want and, and being healthy and happy and successful. So I'm trying to set you up for success. It's mm-hmm. not about me wanting to make you do what I want you to do. It's about setting you up so that you can do whatever it is you want to do. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. I mean, I think we all want better for our kids than we had it. I, you know, even if we had a, a good, a good childhood. we want to kind of push our kids that one step further. Like I know myself personally, I mean, even through the the nasty divorce, I, there's not a bad thing I can say about my dad through it. Like he did all he could to raise me, you know, same with my mom. I think now when I get older and kind of look back at it, I don't, 
I don't kind of heap it on them as personal issues, more just the way they dealt with the conflict between each other and how we got tangled up in it. But it's, uh, yeah. And th that's another thing that I liked about reading in your book too, is that when you're talking about, you know, everybody's pain is valid. Everybody, you can't let people tell you that what you're feeling isn't true, that it didn't happen that way because it's personal experience. But what I also liked that you had talked about, and this was almost, almost revolutionary to me in my relationships with my parents on some things was that the idea that you can't tie your happiness to their realization and their forgiveness of a situation. I know that you, you discuss that specifically about your dad, but I felt that same way with my parents too, is that, you know, I would love it if they were to come to me and kind of self-identify these different areas where they had fallen short and come forward with it. That'd be great, but I can't tie my happiness to that, to them coming forward with those revelations. You know, it's tough for them to dig it up too, as much as it is for me. Yeah. Good luck with that. If you're yeah. For, yeah. If you're looking for your parents or whoever it is who hurt you in the past, whether it's ex or whoever, if you're waiting for them to realize the role they played in your pain and then take, um, you know, accountability of that and then be proactive enough to come and like seek you out and apologize. Good. I mean, that good luck with that. Yeah. So we can't give our power of growth and development away or squander it waiting for that to happen. You know what I mean? We have to move forward regardless. And I know it's tough and it's not necessarily fair, but you know, that's how it is. And it's all part of kind of that idea of accountability too. And it's something that honestly, like that was a little bit of a revelation reading that in your book. Um, I, I really related to that. And it's something that now I've kind of employed moving forward. I've, I'm trying to kind of let go of certain things. I don't need it to necessarily be dredged up now. It can be in the past and, you know, I can be accountable for my happiness moving forward. And I think that's a message that a lot of people need to hear too, because those kind of old wounds or old, you know, things where you felt like you were done wrong by, they can drag people down for years, decades, even like it's something that really drags on you as you move through life. And it can ruin relationships. It can ruin, you know, if you're, you're raising your kids, all those kind of scars can bear all that, that same pain again, and move it on to the next generation. Like you talked about. Absolutely. You're hundred percent right. And you know, I talk about this a lot in the book. Oftentimes what happens as, as men is we say that we're over something, but we're not over. No. We say oh, we're, we're something that happened in the past, we're not worried about it, but we've really just put it out of our mind. We haven't really faced it and healed from it and moved on in a healthy way. We just try to suppress it or ignore it or deny it. And when that happens, you know, those things, if they express themselves in your life one way or another, it's, it's inescapable. When you have these issues, be they a trauma of, of you know, mental trauma, emotional trauma, any of these things from our past, if you don't actually heal the shit, it's gonna sabotage you. It's gonna express itself. And oftentimes it's not until you go through a divorce, your family's falling apart, you go through all these things, and then you realize, well, this thing happened to me all these years ago, and it was kind of the source of this stuff. So that's why I spend so much time on the book focusing about healing mental and emotional wounds and, and facing our scars, because if we don't, our families are going to suffer. There's, there's no way around it. And I know it's painful to go back and, you know, I use the analogy of a malunion. I worked at the hospital for a lot of time for, uh, for many years. A lot of times kids would come in with a broken arm and I talk about the importance of, of setting it and letting it heal properly because if we don't, it doesn't, it doesn't heal right. And that can cripple that arm for the, you know, for the rest of that child or person's life. Oh, I love this, this metaphor. I love this yeah. metaphor in the book. 
and emotionally and mentally, a lot of us go through the same thing. Something happens, we don't, we don't set it and we don't feel it properly and it cripples us and it limits us. And then we wonder why our relationships don't last or we're not as successful as we want it, as we think we should be, or we have the talent and capability to be. It's because we're playing with one hand tied behind our back because we never really gave our chance, ourselves the chance to fully heal. And I spent a lot of time talking about that. Yeah. And that's kind of stuff that, I mean, I related to very deeply and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to very deeply. It's, it's an important message to get there. Like you said, especially to men, because we have a tendency to just, you know, ah, it's fine. It's fine. Just bury it. And then, but you're right. It's going to come back up at some point or another in our lives. And usually a lot uglier if we don't deal with it at the beginning. So it's something that, yeah, I, I just, I really related to, I think a lot of people can. And uh, yeah, just thank you for mentioning that message in the book too. For sure. And to tie it all together, that's how I ended up in so much trouble when I was a kid, when I was 15 and got myself in a situation with the police and the gun and they're chasing me and the guy says he's going to shoot me. Um, and I believe them because I had all these mental and emotional wounds that I, I never addressed and I didn't have the, the mental or emotional capacity to heal them or even to recognize what was happening within me. You know what I mean? That's mm-hmm. covered trauma at a young age and the environment that I came from was you just suck it up and don't be a pussy and so I tried to do that and then I ended up way off the deep end and um you know I think a lot of guys are in that situation so I'm imploring you if you don't read this book read something or you know listen to this podcast or find something that allows you to kind of like connect to a deeper part of yourself so that you're not being driven by unresolved issues that ultimately sabotage your life and relationships and your children and your happiness within your home, because it happens too often. Absolutely. And I mean, it comes back to kind of what you had talked about, uh, about balancing the three energies. I mean, I find, I, I don't know for sure, but it seems like nowadays, a lot of people, their intellectual energy seems to be pretty far off. I mean, I don't get the sense of a lot of I don't know a lot of people really seeking deeper information or deeper intelligence, reading things, listening to things like that. Like I, I personally, I only came back to it because of this COVID lockdown. Like I had nothing to do and I decided, well, I'm going to try to improve myself somehow started reading a lot more started well, this podcast, which, you know, it's, I'm enjoying it. I'm having a blast. It's something to kind of do through all this lockdown. And I, I intend to keep it going. I'm just, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I've get getting to speak to, people on topics that I never would have been able to talk about normally. You know, it's kind of the way I view the podcast is that it's just a a vehicle to different, to different conversations that like, you know, I'm not going to be able to have this conversation into day-to-day life at at work. You know, it's small talk, it's little things like that, which, you know, I love conversations. I hate small talk. (laughs) I'm terrible at it, but I, I, I agree as far as people need to kind of seek out different opinions, different views, seek out help, whatever, whatever it is that you need. But I, yeah, I appreciate that message as well. I think it's, I think it's needed nowadays. Yeah. I want to say like, you know, this happened over seasons. I'm, I'm 43 years old. So I spent a lot of time out of balance where I was really just in my warrior energy. I mean, years where I was just in my warrior energy. And when I tried to correct that and said, I need to spend more time in my intellectual self. And I spent more time in the intellectual energy and I spent years out of balance this way. And ultimately, you know, it took me until, like I said, I was joking when I said a few months ago, but it took me many years to get to even recognize this, go, oh my God, I see what's happening now. You know, when I was focusing primarily on my spiritual energy, I thought that I needed to have no warrior energy. 
right? Like, do I need to have all spiritual energy and no warrior energy? That was out of balance that way. So then it was time for me to fight for something. I was like, well, you know, there's no reason to be confrontational. No, sometimes there's reason to be confrontational, even if it's just um, facing a tough life situation and saying, I'm going to conquer this thing. So it really took, it takes time to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And what I'm trying to do is now come and give somebody a shortcut and say, don't spend 20 years trying to figure this out for your family's sake. Like, here's a, here's a roadmap where, you know, you can have a head start. Absolutely. And nowadays I feel like it's needed more than ever. I mean, you see lots of stories. Yeah, the world's fast. Oh, absolutely, man. And it, yeah, exactly. So many people seem to almost be getting left behind or voluntarily staying back, not wanting to get started on the next life to kind of stay as a man child for as long as they can. Like, no, it's not going to work and it's not going to move your family ahead, move yourself ahead and anything. And so tying back kind of the theme of the podcast is a lot of the time I, I really like to find value through, you know, hard work, that worth work ethic, kind of building that self accountability and almost building your, um, yeah, just kind of just building yourself up through work and through accomplishments. And so one thing that it's, it's just a footnote essentially in the book, but it's one thing that I highlighted and I really liked was when you talked about as you were a child, uh, I took a job as a paper boy for the De- Toledo Blade. I delivered people or papers to people's houses seven days a week. It was a hard job, but I liked the responsibility. Did you find that even kind of gaining that bit of responsibility and that that work ethic as a kid, did it kind of drive you forward and give you a little bit of an anchor when it came to I don't know, different decisions moving forward and a, a sense of, you know, building your own wealth, wealth, earning your own way. Yeah. Well, I always was uh, a worker and like yep. a hustler and I wanted to make money and I wanted to, you know, when you don't come from money, having a few dollars is a big deal. Yep. So I grew up in Ohio. I could tell the story about shoveling snow and like when, when, it, when you look outside and there's a bunch of snow, you're like, oh, I'm about to make some money. <laughs> I get to the shovel in my gloves and literally go door to door and, and knocking on doors and trying to scratch up some cash. And then when I was like 11, I got, I was able to get a paper route. And so, you know, that was something that I was, I was never averse to working hard and, and you know, because I understood the value of, of money right away. Yeah. So I was a saver and, uh, you know, like I said, I, I scrounged up money through, you know, shoveling snow and, getting a couple bucks for my birthday and whatnot. I scrounged up like $75 one, one spring that I was going to use to buy myself a new bicycle. My mom's boyfriend ended up stealing money from me. He had a drug habit and um, things like that kind of (laughs) really, they, they create, they shape the way you see the world when you're a child. So, um, you know, I'm sure my mom over, she's given me that money, you know, a hundred times over, but in the moment when something like that happens, you, you know, you come to a certain realization, like the second, I might, like the world isn't a safe place. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I tell the story about the, uh, collecting money on the paper route and getting robbed by another person who pushed me down and took the money. And um, how that, that singular event kind of changed my, um, you know, before that I was like, I wanted to go to school. I wanted to be a lawyer. And that singular event kind of had me like, I'm going to get one of the, the next motherfucker that does me wrong. I'm going to do something to him. Yeah. And um, without even realizing that that was happening to me. And it quickly went from, it like totally bypassed a healthy self-defense and then went into this like negative lashing out and aggression toward the world, which almost 
ended in catastrophe. And that's what I talk about in the book a lot is I didn't have the insight to understand what was happening. Um, and, you know, I feel like I was saved by the grace of whatever people believe in. But um, I'm encouraging men to not get in that same situation now where you're driven by parts of yourself that you're not understanding because it's going to end in catastrophe. So we got to get a handle on it. Absolutely, man. And like, as hard as that lesson would have been to learn early in life, I feel like it obviously served you very well moving forward. And it's something that, you know, even as you had, you had talked about, you know, just flipping kind of the appreciation idea on its head where, you know, you really value the tougher lessons that you get in life. I think a lot of that nowadays kind of seems to be lost a little bit, like, you know, any of these Hardships are viewed as something that should be eliminated from kids' lives completely. I mean, I, I had read another book. It's called The Coddling of the American Mind, but it relates to, you know, if you're if you're walking through a forest, you're going to give your kid the proper footwear, the proper boots to tackle whatever terrain he's facing. You're not going to pave the forest. There's no way to just clear the road for them. You have to really give them the tools and the the capabilities and, you know, honestly, just wh whatever you can instill into them so that they can face these hardships that they're going to face in life. Cause you're going to get them regardless. Like you better, better kind of equip your kids as best you can to face them. Absolutely. And that's the balance that we all face as parents. What is, you know, what is our role in equipping our kids to overcome challenges versus like giving them opportunities? You know what I mean? We want to yeah. give them opportunities, but we don't want to coddle them. You know, that's the balance that we all have to face. Yeah, it's not easy to accomplish. And, you know, we're both going through this battle together. <laughs> Tons of people who are. I think anybody who even thinks about it or spends time asking about how much is enough, anybody who asks that question is winning. Absolutely. You know, anybody who asks that question is doing the right thing. Absolutely. I, I could not agree more. Um, well, I know I've taken up enough of your time. I'm sure you want to get back to your kids and I know it's two hours ahead for you. So while it's just getting to dinner time here, I know it's getting later into your evening, but I really wanted to thank you for coming on. And if there's any kind of parting wisdom or anything you wanted to kind of give to my audience, I'd give you a few minutes on your outro, but I, uh, I'm so thankful that you came on. I really had a blast during this conversation. Thank you so much, Zach. I did too. There's nothing else that I'd like to add other than um, if you would like to donate to a reader in need, I have a, a mechanism on my website where you can do that. Um, so I've raised money so far and given money and given uh, books to over 15 different prisons across the United States. Um, I've given books to family counseling centers. I've given books to people who work in the education field. Uh, I, get, I just sent out some books to women who works with abused and battered women and that are kind of escaping domestic violence situations. Um, I've had people reach out to me individually and say, my son is in this bad situation and I'll have money can you potentially give me a book. And so if you go to anthonyblankenship.com, there's a mechanism there that you can donate and then all those proceeds go to getting the, the, um, the book into the hands of someone who needs it. Because oftentimes the people who need something like this their life is on fire, right? They don't have the means to sit down and introspectively go, I should pursue a book that will help me find balance within myself. Yep. You know what I mean? So like one lady who runs one of the prison libraries that I talked to said, a book like this would be read 500 to 1,000 times a year, easy. And that just blew my mind. And the books that I donated were given by, you know, people who said, I like that message. Or I know somebody who needs it. 
That's incredible. So anybody is driven to do so, they can do that at that's incredible. And that's really, that's really a testament to think that, you know, one copy of this book could be read 500 to a thousand times in a year. That's, that's mind blowing to me. But again, thank you so much. And also to, again, the first three people who email to plaidjacketphilosopher at gmail.com, I will get the money towards Anthony and he'll ship that book out to you right away. Um, it's kind of, I, I'm so thankful that you came on and I, I really think that this message should be spread. And I think you have, uh, yeah, a lot of people in my audience who could really benefit from this message of yours. Thanks, man. And anybody who wants the book is on Amazon. Uh, Five-star rating so far, so things are going well. Boom, there we go. I haven't rated it on uh, Amazon yet, so I'll get right on that. Thank you, sir. Once again, thank you so much, Anthony, for joining me. I gained so much out of that conversation, and I hope you, the audience, did as well. He's got so much knowledge, and he shares it so openly in his book. Again, that's First Generation Father. You can find it on anthonyblankenship.com, or you can order it off of Amazon. But really, I, I encourage you guys to reach out to get this book. It's incredible. And once again, the first three people who email plaidjacketphilosopher at gmail.com and request the book, I will get that sent out to you the second that it reaches my hands, because we had a few shipping delays, I think, coming into Canada over the holidays, but it's supposed to be here in the next week, and as soon as it gets in my hands, I will have it back in the mail, shipped out to wherever you guys are. So thank you very much for listening. That's going to be it for today. I hope you guys found some value in this week's episode. If you did and are interested in more content like this, please rate, comment, subscribe, and recommend the podcast to a friend. I really appreciate all the feedback you guys have given me to this point and look forward to hearing from you again. As always, the podcast page is The Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Facebook, at Jacket Plaid on Twitter, and at Plaid Jacket Philosopher on Instagram. That concludes this week's episode. Thank you so much for the continued support and especially those of you who reach out weekly with comments on each episode. Have a great week and I'll talk to you all again soon.